Greetings, everyone. My name is Dr. Veronica Hardy, your host, and I'm so thankful that you're joining me today. And today we have an amazing guest with us who is a life coach and instructor of psychology, a speaker, a writer, and so much more. Her name is Ashley Elliott. And Ashley, I'm going to turn it over to you so you can share a little about yourself with our audience. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm pleased to be here. And yeah, like you said, I have all of those, all of those things that I've done, but I also have my husband, Chuck, who we've started doing some of this journey of writing and coaching together in about the last year. So if we go back to the beginning of our relationship, we met, uh, we've been married 13 years ago. So we met before that. And we've always knew like from the very beginning, we wanted to do you know, ministry together. We didn't know exactly what that would look like, but we, he's a pastor and I'm a professor. And so we've had just like volunteer opportunities kind of intersect and a few opportunities where we've been marriage educators and different things where we've seen, you know, God use us in different ways together. And we've really found that to be enjoyable. And we felt like that's been part of our calling. And so we've been you know, just deciding to just be a little bit more bold in taking some of those steps in the last a little bit over a year, last year or so. And one of those things is to just share about some of the journey that we've gone through. So we have two boys, we have three boys, but we had two boys and then we faced recurrent miscarriage and it was just such a terrible journey. It was awful, lonely, painful. We continued to do all of our things of doing volunteering and ministering at the church and then going to work and teaching and you know, trying to lead but it was something that was a struggle and we just didn't feel like there were a ton of people around us or workshops or resources that just felt like they were out there. And we, we decided like we wanted to take a year off after our son Emerson was born and just heal and enjoy him and just be okay. Cause even the day he was born, I was bawling, you know, I'm like, I think we're in the hospital. I think he's going to make it. And I'm like, oh, and I'm just, you know, so overwhelmed, you know, and, and whenever I, mean, I remember holding him and saying, you were okay because it was just the most tragic thing to every day, you know, love someone so much and also be terrified that they were going to be taken from you. And so we took that year off, but then after that, we were like, we want to help others. And as we were talking with people, you know, they said a lot of the things that you're saying, they apply to my grief and to the family grief and to divorce. And, you know, they say like, really, you know, don't just limit yourself to sharing about, you know, miscarriage, but you talk about the things that you struggle with. And as a counselor, you know, that I know that people go through, you know, in anything that they're grieving. And so this led us to, you know, start to think about like, what would a workshop look, a workshop look like a book look like, what would it look like? And so we developed a program called love and loss, where we've you know, kind of put some of those things together. And we're so thrilled that we have because we've been able to you know, get more opportunities to speak into the lives of others and be there as a resource. And, you know, we've been thankful, thankful for that. Again, it's not easy. It's not always easy to you know, talk about those things. But as we've kind of worked with other people and kind of processed our own grief, we've seen that there's so many things that we just do naturally that kind of don't work well for us. And so as we kind of process those things, we can heal and maybe make different choices that will help us and help others in the future. Oh my gosh, that was woo, incredible, incredible hearing. I mean, you have your professional life, but the spiritual life mm -hmm. and which to me, of course, it all comes together for you too. And how that has just, I guess, influenced a lot of what you're doing. I like that, that you and your husband are working together on this and being able to share your experiences that, 
basically as ministry to speak into other people's lives and help them with their processes of, of mm -hmm. grief, loss, um, coping. So I appreciate everything that, that you are doing. Thank you. Absolutely. And that takes us into our topic for today about using cognitive behavioral therapy strategies for mm -hmm. untangling grief. Yeah. So could you share about that with our audience? Yeah. So, you know, through my training, you looking at cognitive behavioral strategies has been something that I really gravitated towards. So basically, you know, looking at our thoughts and how they impact our behavior. So our thinking comes first. Sometimes there's a little bit of space between our thinking and our behavior. But as we kind of process, you know, what are my thoughts like and how is that impacting my behavior? it's important that then we you know, process that to understand what's going on so that we can change it. And so, you know, as I, you know, have kind of thought about my own grief, like what did I do that was really good for me? What did I do that was not good for me? That's helped me to help. It's helped me understand how I want to be different and how I can help others be different. So one of the tools that we use is just kind of processing your coping skills. So coping skills are just anything that we use to help us. And so sometimes we wouldn't label them as a coping skill, but it, that's what it is. So if we are angry and we feel like we can't talk about it, then we go out and we take a walk. That would be a coping skill. That would be a good thing, right? And so for grief, you know, one of the things that people tend to do is that what they kind of pull away and isolate. And so I found myself, I'm very, very extroverted. So I didn't really, and I didn't, I had jobs and kids, all these things. So I didn't get a lot of opportunity to withdraw physically, but I found myself withdrawing emotionally. And so that was a coping skill that I would find, like, rather than me asking people, how are you? I didn't feel like I had the emotional strength to handle how they were and to empathize and care like I wanted to. And so I remained quiet. And that was a coping skill that sometimes was positive, but over time I kind of realized like there was that protective need there that I wasn't meeting. And then it kind of led to distancing and isolation, you further desire for isolation. So uh, the, the steps that I give is like really identify what are your positive and negative coping skills? What are some things that you're doing that are helping in some way, you know, there are coping skills. So there's some function in it. So I don't want to look and say it's all good or it's all bad because even if someone's punching a wall, there's something good in it, right? There's some good reason people don't do bad things for bad reasons. They do bad things because there's some good in it. And so instead of shying away and saying, shame on you, you shouldn't do that. Like, let's look at what did that serve? What purpose did that serve? And so that made me feel powerful when I felt weak and Although we don't want to punch walls, we do want to understand what's driving that behavior. And so for me, as I kind of looked at my own life and said, I don't want to be isolating. And I know that I'm kind of pulling myself back. I asked like, what's that need? And so for me, it was that need to not have people ask me a question that would hurt because there were a lot of times I was triggered whenever I was around people. And one of the times I walked into um, church and a gal said, Hey, baby mama. And I had just found out I had miscarried a few days before that. And it was just like, I hadn't even gotten in the building and I knew I was coming to church. I didn't give that up. I was like, I'm, I'm still going to serve. I'm still going to come. I'm still going to be here. But it was just this like difficult moment. And even in the second, I was like, I can handle this. But as I walked away, I'm like, I want to go home, help me Lord, you know, and just all of that grief, just kind of like, it comes up and it slaps you across the face. And so then in that moment, I might've looked and acted okay to people on the outside, but then that like solidified that coping skill to be like, isolate, 
don't talk to people. Don't tell anyone ever when you're pregnant or don't tell anyone this news because then they will hurt you. And so, you know, as you look through like your own positive and negative coping skills, they come from behaviors that have happened in the past, typically your experiences, things that happened to you, maybe that were outside of your control. And we get back to it and we're just looking for control. We're trying to control and prevent those negatives. And so that's one tool that, you know, I've found helpful that not just looking at the pros and the cons, but then the needs behind them. And so for, for me, even like a positive need, you know, or a positive coping skill, it's like talking with a friend about my situation. And so if I'm talking to a friend about the grief and that's a way I cope, well, how am I coping? Like, what's that need? Well, the need is for connection. And so then I can kind of go over to that negative side and it's like, okay, I'm isolating because I want to protect from being hurt, but I'm also preventing that need for, for connection being met if I continue to isolate. And so I think it's good, but we don't have to completely say, I have to just be myself and be completely out there and let people stomp all over my heart. But to say, no, I choose a few people who I do feel safe with so that I can have those needs met. I mean, that was a wealth of knowledge, <laughs> a wealth of knowledge. And it gave our, our audience insight into how to identify their uh, coping skills, mm -hmm. and then identify, like you said, what need is it meeting? Mm -hmm. You know, not, not that it's positive or negative mm -hmm. as far as a coping skill, but let's work to understand what need is it meeting? What do, what do I need right now? Yeah. So I, as I, we, sorry, I say, as we meet those needs, then we feel better and we feel more like ourselves. And so kind of understanding those needs and they can be met in a lot of different ways. You know, if we need community, it doesn't have to be this person who tells us all these things about what we should do differently. It can be someone else who can meet that need. So finding out those needs and how they can be met is helpful. Yeah, I appreciate that you shared this. And of course, I took notes around it. You probably saw me writing. I'm such a note taker. But um, that there is some function in its use. I really like that and wrote it down. I wanted our audience to, to hear it again, too, mm -hmm. that there is some function in that particular coping skill mm -hmm. that you're using in that moment. So really working to understand what that function is. Yeah. And so if you're like in counseling or if you're just journaling or processing it, don't shy away from those things. Cause I think that's what we tend to do. If we're going to talk to someone like, oh, I just feel bad. We save all of that. You know, people will save it till the end of the session and they'll really tell you what's going on or, or people will, you know, not share what's really going on. And that's because they don't want to feel bad about it. And like, well, if you hit a wall, tell someone you hit a wall, because the best way that I've found not to do the same behaviors that I've done is to confess it and to talk about it and to ask for accountability and to process. And so that's my personality and how I've coped is my relationship with God. You're like, God, I don't want this to you know, be something that I struggle with daily, but that means I have to deal with it. And so when we, when we do push it away, it makes it more easy. And so as I did that, I thought, you know, we tend to, you know, not want to talk about like negative emotions, you know, and you're like, well, all of our emotions are indicators. And so when we feel angry, it is a blessing because it's a trigger or it's, it's a signal. It's not, it is a trigger sometimes, but it is a signal that something that we love is being disrupted. And so 
why are you angry? What are you angry about? You're angry about things that you love. And so we can have a lot of anger with grief because we're angry that this person is gone. But if we kind of look like what's beneath the surface with the anger or what's, or yeah, what's beneath the surface with the anger and how can I look for meeting those needs in a positive way instead of, you know, just allowing ourselves to hide it and regret or repress it and then explode. So allowing ourselves to look at those negative feelings is, is important to me. And I think it's very helpful. Right. And I want to highlight something you just said too, about our emotions are signals. Mm -hmm. We have to pay attention to them, our body, our mind. I mean, it's, it's speaking to us. Like you said, it's, there's something that's distracting us or taking us off balance Mm -hmm. and our emotions are helping to draw our awareness to that. That's good. Very good. And I believe there's, there's another area about reframing mm-hmm. that's part of our discussion too. Yes. Yeah. So once we have kind of really looked at our experiences and we kind of say, this is how I want to be, this is the me that I feel like I used to be. And I'm kind of struggling with, we can say, these are how I've coped. These are my needs. This is how I can maybe meet those needs. And then we can begin to look at some of those specific situations that maybe are triggers for us. And so then we ask ourselves, can I reframe any of those phrases, those painful sentences and help us to think differently? So I'll give an example, cause that makes it much more easy to understand. But if you have a loved one where you used to go to look at Christmas lights together, or you, you went to a certain restaurant. And then whenever you go to that place, you go by that place, you don't want to ever go there again. And we can feel very triggered in our emotion by these places. And we find ourselves feeling very out of control. You know, I don't want to go this place. And it feels again, it reinforces isolation because we don't want to be triggered. And the way to not be triggered is to stay in our little bubble. Well, we know that even that doesn't work, especially with social media and the internet and all, you know, like we're still going to be triggered. So the better technique is to work through the process of healing. And that means being introspective, looking at what's really been going on. And so if you look at the situation with, you know, um, I'll, I'll use my personal example where whenever we would go by the hospital, it would be very painful. And it actually, we can see it from our house. It's something that we have to pass all the time. And so for a little while, I allowed myself to go a different turn to come. So I didn't have to go right by it. I could still see it if I looked that way, but that was a coping skill for me. And maybe it was something that was, um, a negative in some ways, but I, for me, it was just kind of protecting myself. So I didn't have to think about it every single time, but over time, I knew I didn't want to always go a different direction. You, it was okay to pass the hospital, but one of the things that I tried to do is reframe. And so I would say the hospital is there to help. And I'm thankful in other situations that we've been able to go to the hospital for procedures for, you know, for, we ended up going to the hospital a lot for the treatments with Emerson. And so, you know, I I would say I'm thankful for the hospital, even though it's been a source of pain. And so if it's a restaurant that you want to go to kind of reframing and saying, this was a place that was very joyful to me. And I want to hold on to that. And I want to let go of the pain as best I can and be able to remember that person. Because sometimes what we do is we shut all of those emotions and shut all those memories away. And we don't even give ourselves space to enjoy the thought of that person, that loved one, that experience. And it's, it's this 
like off topic, like don't talk about the person, take all the pictures down. And although that's okay for a season, I don't think that that's really ideal for most of us long-term because if you have a family member and you went to eat at this place, you would, would your goal be that later we could go there together and say, wow, I miss this person, but I'm closer to them because I'm at this place. So that actually happened to me at a restaurant and my mom really didn't go for a while. And then in time I said, what if we go together and we just, you just go and we just think about, it was my grandpa and her dad. And, and so we went and we actually had a waitress that was a waitress for him over and over again, because he went to this restaurant frequently. And so it was just this moment where we were like, it was a couple of years later, you know, it wasn't quite as fresh, but it brought back that memory of the connection to him. And so it turned instead of a place of pain, a place that we wanted to go, but that comes from healing that sometimes can happen over time, but also can happen with the state of mind that we say, I'm ready to face some of the love and I want to hold on to the love instead of the pain, but to get to the love, that means sometimes we have to look at the pain that's there and we have to kind of go through it. And that's what, what we can spend all this time resisting and prevent ourselves from getting to that place of health. Right. And I like how you, it's kind of in the way you were saying, we all have our own unique experience when it comes mm-hmm. to grieving someone. And like you said, you have to be at a certain point. You may need mm-hmm. to be at a certain point to say, visit that restaurant or go past the hospital. And those points, they, they can differ for, for everyone. Certainly. Yeah. And just allowing yourself to be okay with some of the things that you need now, but also you know, processing and saying, how long do I want to be like this? Because if you want to be okay, you want to be home for a couple of days and not go around a lot of people. I think that that can be acceptable. Now it's going to be based on your personality, but some people will say, I'm not going anywhere for a month. And, you know, if we ask ourselves, you know, that kind of healing process, like how long is this okay for me? You know, I want to give myself space to heal, but I also want to make sure I'm healing in the process. And so is it that I'm never going to go to this restaurant or could I take someone with me eventually? And kind of when we get to that place where we can process, that's usually when we have a little bit of courage to build that support system around us to, you know, heal and to grow and maybe to revisit some of those things. And so that reframing is saying, I've got these painful experiences that I'm dealing with and how could I reframe them? And so for me, it's like, okay, the hospital feels like a source of pain. Is there any good, like what's in, what's good in the hospital? Like, oh, of course, you know, there's so much good in the hospital. We're thankful for it, but it is also a place where there's loss and there's pain. And so it's okay to accept that, but let's also, you know, hold on to the good that we have from it. And then that can give us a little bit of comfort. Yes. And another point you made again, just for our audience to catch it too, is you were mentioned about being triggered, mm-hmm. that generally we don't, we don't want to be triggered. And one of the ways to avoid that is through isolation. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that'll be very interesting for our audience to hear um, if they have experienced that, if they have experienced mm-hmm. triggers and picked up on themselves, isolating, wanting to stay home or, mm-hmm. or not wanting to go to work and be in that space because it may be a reminder, even if, if it's just the ride, the road mm-hmm. you take to work mm-hmm. or something to that extent and picking up and, and determining, well, what does this isolation mean you know what am I trying to avoid or stay away from and like you said that's where that reframing comes in yeah so as we look at our triggers you first being aware of our triggers what are they am I triggered well of course we're all triggered at some point but you know what is 
what is that trigger? Is it a trigger of, you know, I don't want to go to the, to this place anymore. And you're making me go to that place, right. You're causing me to think about this person and I'm not ready or this event that has been painful. And so kind of understanding like, Oh, I'm being triggered right now. I'm going to take a breath and this is okay. I can get through it. You, and then looking at that, like, what, what are my needs? Do I need to stay away from this person for a while? Do I need to not go to this place? Or is it, is it even possible? And, but really looking, looking at those needs of being aware first, you know, what, what is going on inside of me? And then we assess like, what can I do about it? And then we're going to act differently. You know, we're going to act, you know, we're either going to ask for what we need. We're going to say, okay, I'm going to take a, you know, a, a week off and be able to process and be with family and support system so that I can get through this time, you know, whatever, whatever it is, but giving yourself the time, like raise your awareness to what your needs are, assess, how can I get those needs met and then act on it? Yes. And something you've mentioned, um, throughout the time that we've been having our conversation is about support systems, mm-hmm. you know, whoever, whether it's someone or, or several people around to help support mm-hmm. you through a process. And I know, a a question, I guess, around discomfort that I, I may get from people is, well, what do I say? I don't know what to say mm-hmm. to someone who may have experienced the loss. Mm-hmm. And I know there, there are some of the usual phrases that we do tend to say, right? Mm-hmm. To, to communicate our intent, such as, I'm so sorry for your loss, mm-hmm. um, phrases such as that. But that often comes up as a question, you know, what do I do? How do I go about supporting someone? Well, and I actually think that people are pretty terrible at this. <laughs> we really don't know what to say, like you said. And so then we say nothing. I think that's a lot of people's default. And one thing that I noticed is that part of the isolation, I felt like I don't want people to, you know, trigger me or I don't know what they're going to ask. But what triggered the most pain for me was when I was around people who didn't ask. And so, I mean, I have some terrible stories where even one, one of the stories I'll share a little bit with you, that's pretty vulnerable, but I went, I went camping with my family and it was just a couple of days after I'd found out with one of the miscarriages and, uh, you know, one or two people, like one person like hugged me and one person before a lot of people got there, like asked, like, how are you doing? And so I was able to talk a little bit, but I have brothers, I have four brothers, so I shouldn't have expected much, but <laughs> they don't always, they don't always communicate about feelings, but there just wasn't any communication about it. And it wasn't, I wasn't triggered by a grief comment. I wasn't triggered by anything. I was triggered by being in a boat. We went on a boat the next day and there weren't enough life jackets for kids. And I saw death all around me and I'd experienced this loss and, and I was not wanting to give up my kids life jacket, but what, and just all of the stuff that was going on. And I, I mean, I ended up, I lost it on like someone said something, whatever. And I was like, ah, whatever. And I just, I was like, and I just ended up screaming and I cussed and I don't ever cuss. And, and I was like, my baby's gone. And I just like slammed my fist down and was like, I don't know. And but like in that moment, like I wanted to jump off the boat and I was like, I don't, I don't have anywhere to go. I didn't feel safe. I was overwhelmed. And I just, I realized like I had been triggered before I had been triggered the day before, whenever no one asked and then no one asked. And then we were all together and I was trying to hold it together. And then my trigger was being in a boat that had nothing to do with my situation, but it was my unmet need. And so for me, 
I don't want to get in those situations in the future with not having control. And so how, how did I react? Well, I did choose a little bit more carefully. Some of the places that I went, I won't ever go camping two days after I experienced a tragedy again, because camping's also like this, just, it's a lot of community and it's great. And I love it, but there's just like, we were all sharing space and it was, it's hard if you feel like you need to get away and cry a little bit, mm. but but for me, I, I learned that I have to really pay attention to my body. So something from addictions that I've used is the acronym HALT. Don't get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Yeah. So I know that I, you know, I got a little too angry, but it was just like my hurt feelings was behind kind of my anger. But then, you know, that feeling lonely is really what was going on because I felt like I was with my family, which is what I really needed, but they weren't meeting my needs. And so what the first things that I like start started to say in the boat, it was like, you guys aren't communicating. Cause they weren't telling like what, what they wanted to do, you know? And so it was like, y'all aren't talking y'all, you know? And so it was like, that was my trigger because I needed more communication from them. And, mm -hmm. and as I process, you know, my own feelings, I am aware of my needs a lot earlier than I sometimes let on to myself. And so I try to become more aware, like, how do I feel right now? Oh, if I feel too hot, I might be more grumpy and yes. might have not have as much of a fuse. And so I need to take care of that and say, okay, can I adjust the thermostat or do I need to go outside or do something? And that will help me whenever I am triggered to feel like I am taking care of myself and I have more mm -hmm. confidence in how to respond. And so again, I'm not perfect at it. I wish that I were better at it in life, <laughs> but I've learned a few things from my own grief and hope that, you know, people, people will, you know, benefit from just thinking about, you know, their own triggers and you know how they respond and what, what needs that they have there. Yes, and how you brought up, um, and e even in the Becoming Untangled book, I do have a piece in there about listening to your body, mm. but I started paying attention to that because my doctor, I was having knee pain, and he would tell me, listen to my body as far as the certain exercises that I chose, but in the book, I transitioned that to emotions, what's happening internally, and like you said, with the emotions and the triggers, and even our, our physiological responses, it's important to tune into that listen because those are signals yeah mm -hmm. certainly i mean we want to run away from them sometimes but looking at our emotions they are our friend <laughs> they they will tell us what we need and we don't want to be ruled by them in fact there's a verse in it's second corinthians 10 6 and it says i take every thought captive and make it obedient to christ and so as i have thoughts i have thoughts that i should never do right i have to send them back to jesus and say lord help me i don't receive that thought i will not behave that way you know and sometimes whenever it's really cold or if it's really you know really dreary outside whatever it might be you know we can feel like oh i don't want to go wherever i don't want to do these things mm -hmm. but just telling ourselves I do hard things. That's been one of my mantras. You know, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I can tell my thoughts to be different. If I look in the mirror and hate what I see, I can hate myself and it's not going to help me. But if I'm nice to myself and I say, I'm just going to look at what I do see that's good. At least I still have hair or whatever, you know, or like, okay, I can be nice to myself. It really doesn't just benefit us. It benefits other people. So 
taking that time to listen like, okay, I feel this way. Why? Instead of feeling a prisoner, you may be to our emotions and our feelings and our thoughts, you asking, asking the question, why do I feel this? And how can I be different? And sometimes just telling yourself I am enough mm-hmm. will help us over time. You know, we convince ourselves through our thoughts, either for good or for bad. And you've given us so much valuable information just throughout this talk. And, and I know our audience will be able to gain so much from it. But one more question I have to ask you is, as we draw to our close, if there was one main takeaway that you wanted our audience to carry with them from this conversation today, what would it be? Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, we've poured out and talked about a lot of different things. I would say really identifying, you know, your own behavior, especially the behavior that you want to do and the behavior that you don't want to do. So we have a mixture, you know, so making that, you know, pros and cons list or the the positive and negative list of so the positive coping skills, that negative, negative coping skills, and then looking deeper to say what needs are being met. Because at the end of the day, in any relationship, if it's at a job, if it is in, you know, in, a, in a relationship with a neighbor, we have needs. And sometimes those needs go unmet and we can ask for what we want and we can adapt and we're super resilient. So if we can just take the time to process, you know, what do I need? How am I trying to go about getting that need met through my own behaviors and reactions? And then what can I do differently to respond in more positive ways? And so we, we all want our needs met, but sometimes we go about getting it in unhealthy ways. And so if we need to relax, we can turn to a bottle or we can take a breath, you know, and so asking ourselves, you know, are the things that I'm doing bringing about pain and suffering, or are they bringing about actual, like the needs being met and then building upon it so that other needs can be met. So really that's been, been a key for me needed to say, just looking at what my needs are really helps. Right. And that, that was a great, I think, overview summarization that our audience can take with them. And you're so well-spoken about it. And overall, thank you. I'm thankful to you for sharing pieces of your story and your experience too. Now you shared several points about yourself in the beginning, uh, work that you and your husband are doing together, Mm -hmm. whether it's writing, whether it's the courses you develop, Mm -hmm. how would the listeners be able to locate you to tap into what you have been doing? Yeah, it's awesome. Well, we have our website, which is elliotlifecoaching.com and it's two L's and two T's in Elliot. So E-L-L-I-O-T-T, elliotlifecoaching.com. And so we have, yeah, online programs there. We actually are contributors for Right Now Media and for version. So for anyone who are on either of those platforms, they have the Bible app on their phone. We've got reading plans. So you can look up our names and, but yeah, we have our program Love and Loss and another series that is on Right Now Media as well. And so, yeah, if you have those different places or a few we're on Instagram, Chuck and Ashley coaching. So we'd love to, yeah, to connect, to hear how, if this has benefited you, that's always encouraging to hear how people, you know, have used some of the techniques and how it's brought them joy and brought them hope.